0: At the end of the day, we're going to get drawn right back to the original question, and then we're going to have to face it naked, as it were, without any of the backup of any of these arguments and say, okay, Bible doesn't say this is so. Real life gives you a terrible contradiction in terms of God-loving people and evil existing. I think we need some better answers. And we can start off with why we've got ourselves so confused in the first place.
1: Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. All right, it sounds like last week things took an interesting turn in your Sunday School discussion group last week. Why don't you tell us about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was definitely a little more than I expected um not least because we had instead of just having the the adults in um <clears throat> i was pretty pleased that a friend who is sort of taking or overseeing a class with the uh the adolescents so the kind of i don't know 12 to 18 year old group uh she 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 fills a lot of gaps and i think she maybe sometimes does that too much and she ends up you know taking herself out of or away from things that she wants to participate in. And so she just, I think, kind of thought, forget this. I'm not going to spend my time with the class, with this youth class. I want to be with the adult class. I'm bringing them all to the I'd adult love it. Class. <laughs> I know. And I thought that was great. It was a total surprise. I had no clue it was happening. Except that you had a
1: lot more people than normal. <laughs>
0: well, they just started showing up and sitting down and I knew what was going on. It's just I'm in the middle, like I have been <clears throat> I guess the 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 trajectory for me in this class, and we've been talking about this, is I've been trying to figure out how to present some of this material. And I think the, the whole of last year I did it by just trying to solicit opinions, solicit ideas, and they might give four or five, I might draw two out. And then we might follow that that trail of two and they might add three or four more. And I might take one or two of those and then stitch them together. And try to lead them. And I think what I've realized is that's good for certain groups of people. But I think when, when you and I touched on this, maybe it was last episode, uh, about this is a culture of trust relative to Christianity and the Bible. And I am accustomed to a, a culture more or less of suspicion, or at least a mixed culture, where suspicion is already healthily – I don't have to work at helping people, typically – in the cultures I'm used to, cultivate suspicion. Here I do. And so um, I realized that, that that the way I did it last year just won't work. But I'm in there and I'm ready to go with my new method. And all of a sudden I'm seeing all these kids sit down and we're, we're talking about the problem of evil. Wait, what was your new method going to be? Well, <clears throat> I think this is what I'm what I'm seeing. And this is how I'm going to go forward week by week is I'm going to start off, I'm going to lead us in a direction, people are going to contribute. And then when we come back the next week, if you're not there, you're going to miss a lot, but oh well, that's kind of how it's going to go. We come back the next week, I am going to go through and kind of, if you like, cross examine what's on the board. If I, this week, let's just, I'll just, I'll skip past the, (laughs) the awkwardness of trying to say to myself, how do I present the problem of evil to a bunch of kids and then try to help people understand that really what I'm looking at is the fact that we haven't seen this problem. We as the Christ, as, as Christians and we as people in this church, real life people, are not seeing this problem and giving it the full weight and due that it deserves. And we're not doing that despite the fact that the Bible is showing us that we should be. So I, I'm going to bracket that out aside and just say the method then is um, once I've got, you know, people – Coming back to me about well okay here's what I think of the problem of evil or here's what I think about this this argument about why um, why evil is is real and it's it's not something that that you know God causes um, is that I think piece by piece and point by point I have to address what they've said and that seems in one way like a fairly lengthy uh, process and I think what I've realized is it's very much or it appears to me to be very much like what i understand first year teaching to be and that is uh you're you're teaching a course you know what whatever level you're at you're at high school you're at uh you know you're middle school you you're at uh university as a prof you need to create your own material and this is part of the process for me i guess of creating the material and so you know, I had uh, three or four objections to this idea that God doesn't cause evil. You know, I had the book of Job. Well, God's kind of in there and he's working with Satan, right? So that that's an example. And then I have Romans 8.28, which uh, let me just, to 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 avoid misquoting, I'll actually quote seeing as I have my Bible handy and right here in front of me. Um, this is reading from the NRSV, Um we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. But typically people quote it as, God works all things together for good. And that's a pretty important um, difference. And then I also had somebody say a couple of things about, um, you know, uh, the idea that that God is in some way responsible, that we can look at sort of God and imagine God as this all good, all loving, all knowing entity um, God's not the only one in the picture. We're responsible and Satan's responsible and people never think of that. And the kind of the implication was, and therefore this idea of God being responsible doesn't really work. And I think what I've realized, the method then is to sort of look at each one of these in turn and say, okay, well, look at this idea in Job. What is this Shatan figure in Job? And I came across this fantastic piece of work Um um, by Ryan Stokes Dr. Ryan Stokes and he, uh, he's he got a book forthcoming on this from Erdman's fantastic publisher in terms of academic Christian works and Stokes' basic point is this is not the same entity in Job that we are seeing in Revelation this is not the great adversary of God this word is, has a meaning and its meaning is basically the attacker or the executioner it can be used as the accuser but that's a different sort of meaning and a different sort of context. And he goes through and he looks through various uses in the Old Testament. And I was um, very much convinced. You know, uh, I don't, I don't sort of go into articles thinking I'm going to be convinced by something brand new. Um, but um, th- he did convince me, and I think he's right that this is not like some sort of uh, opposition to God, but this is a. Uh, if you like, uh, an angel who holds the job or the role of of acting as as executioner or as attacker. And this there's, there are a couple of instances, uh, there's one in Numbers, uh, where the same thing takes place, and it's the same sort of idea. There's another one in the Minor Prophets. And I thought the evidence was great. And so I'm going to raise that and say, well, you know, I think we've got to see this differently. And then with this whole idea of Romans 8.28, I think the big idea here is that you know, all things, in all things, God works for good for those who love him. And I think that's probably the best translation, but that's very different from saying all things work together for good, right? Because the first one says things may happen, whatever they may be, God's there. The second one says everything that happens, God intends it and intends it for good. Those are radically
1: different, Hmm. right? So where do things go in the class? Well...
0: In the class,
1: did it get controversial or heated or, I don't know, was there some good drama?
0: No, it got. I think it got entirely heated because um, there were some, you know. And I'm always curious when this happens when someone's bringing out points, and I'm thinking, wow, this, this just doesn't make any sense. You know, I think the point about Job makes sense, and I think the point about Romans makes sense. Uh, I think that they are, from what I've, f- from all the study I've done, and I'm bringing some of that study with me to show folks and to tell them where my views are coming from. But the the perspectives that I was given on Job and on Romans are incorrect. And when you take the better perspectives that have more scholarly support and just make more sense of both the text and real life, you get a very different view. But I think the contention came in principally when we were talking about this greater good argument, you know that that God uses evil for good, and I said, well, you know this is we're getting towards the greater good argument, and um, I'm always curious when somebody responds this way, but this fellow was very uh um, very entrenched, extremely entrenched um with my perspective um in his view, and uh, his view was uh, the the kind of the whole piece I mentioned about. Well, yeah, we can't really blame God. People just aren't taking responsibility. And, and you know, the, Satan's there. And, and um, you know, we, we got down to this point. Of but that's me blaming mention, Satan then. Well, yeah, and which ultimately comes back to God, right? I mean, didn't God create okay. Satan? Isn't God still on the hook? No, no, I, I agree with you. He's blaming Satan, but I think blaming Satan doesn't get us anywhere. So what if Satan is somewhat responsible for this? God created Satan. Do something about Satan. God's still at the top of the food chain, unless unless all of a sudden God's not. But in Christian theology, God is. Right, so God's God's responsible for God's you know errant creation of whoever this this accuser or Shatan or Satan is. Um, and then the whole idea that we're not responsible. I was, what I found interesting too, I guess before I, before I answer that part about who's not responsible. What I found was that there was a propensity to take the hard cases I'd given and make them easier and then focus on the easy cases and say, I can solve this. Look, see, and therefore you're wrong. So instead, I mean, I had things up like the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide. Uh, and um, I put 9-11 up there. I don't think it figures in any way. It's, it's nowhere near like the Holocaust or the other two. But but it was a very sort of visual and... and um, Immediate
1: and impactful event, right? In the sense that that evil has occurred and yeah, bad I mean, stuff has happened. Yeah, Who, like, like I don't is know this how orchestrated keep, by God or not.
0: Yeah, is this is this orchestrated by God or or is is better yet? I think part of part of the issue is are we willing to say, you know, and, and I guess the way I had put it out to the class initially, and i put it to on the follow up sheets. From Sunday school is, look, you've got in what we call the Lord's Prayer, maybe what we should be calling the disciples' prayer, you have this indication of, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if it was already happening that way on earth, we wouldn't be praying that. It would be senseless. We're asking for things that are not yet the case. So God's will isn't being done here. God's kingdom is not fully come here. Partially come, sure. God's will is partially being done, sure. But if it if we look around, if we say, well, if it's only partially being done, what are the types of events that we can see that would clearly not be? Well, I think we're, you know, we're rubbing shoulders or <laughs> we're getting we're getting kicked, maybe, by them when we think about Rwanda, when we think about um the Holocaust, uh, if you think about nine eleven. Um and my comment about 9-11 was simply that the scale is completely disproportionate. I don't know how many people died at 9-11. Three or 4,000, that's nothing. That's, that's nothing compared to these other two events where you've got millions and then, you know, 0.5 to 1 million in 100 days. That was crazy. But I think what I saw is that there was this desire. Instead of people looking at the Holocaust, I had one person and, and what she did is she, she kind of took it to something completely banal, completely like every day, like an everyday, I don't know, somebody treating somebody badly, that being evil, and then proposing a solution. You know, And I think it was interesting to me that I really had to keep people not simply on track with, here's the topic, but here is the part of the topic you need to focus on. And if you don't do that, you're not going to get to where you need to go. We're not going to get to where we want to go. Hmm. so stick in the hard stuff don't make it easy don't give yourself a break you know it's sort of like uh, if you're if you're up for a run don't skip the hills run the hills because that's where that's where the big gains are going to come and then for the other fellow um, ultimately we got into a place where i was saying there's a big difference to say that um, good exists despite evil
1: versus uh, good you can't have good with, without evil.
0: Yeah, you, that, that a good good occurs from evil, and his and he just responded to me as you know. Well, that's just words. Those are all words, and and I think following up with a couple of people that that caused a a lot of a lot of 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 anger. You know, as did the comments about people. You know, it's not we're not taking responsibility because, of course, I think that's that's ludicrous. You know, I think human beings are taking a lot of responsibility when we think about things like the Holocaust. I mean, we had the Geneva Convention that came out in 1947. Uh, We have the UN that was developed uh, to try to um, respond to these major incidences of of people destroying and maiming other people. And yet we still have the problem. We still have the issue of... uh, the Holocaust occurring, genocides occurring, uh, the Bible telling us, you know, the, 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 the disciples' prayer saying very clearly that God's will isn't being done. And so how do, what do we make of that? How do we deal with that? How do we understand that? And, of course, the, the, the place that I think we're going to need to go to eventually is, well, God's not fully in control. And I think that's a terrifying place for most
1: people. Mm, tell me more about that.
0: Well clearly God's not, if God were in control, everything would be being done the way God wants it to be. So this all came out of my, the orientation for this last class came out of a comment that was made in the first class. So we just had the second one. During the first class, somebody said, God is kind of overcoming all of these difficulties. God is, God's will is being done, if you will. Things are working out God's way, so to speak, moment by moment, all the time. So I wrote that down. I put it on the board. And of course, uh, you know, my experience as someone in the world and my my understanding as someone reading the biblical text is that's not true. The all of the time part. Yeah. Like ultimately, will God triumph? I believe so. Does God triumph interspersed? Yes, I believe so. Does God triumph all the time? No. No, God doesn't. Because if you take that view, then all of a sudden you have to explain – Rwanda and the Holocaust are examples of God triumphing. And then we get into this huge contorted logic of, well, if you like, the greater good
1: argument. Well, it, it, it bad things, but God needed this for something good to come along. And that's the greater good argument. Yes. You've got to have, ba- you've got to have something bad so that God can come along and do good.
0: Well, sort of. It's, it's more like God relies on or needs evil in order to bring good good or evil you could say it even in a lighter way but it still has the force evil is necessary at times
1: in order for there to be good and what do you think is a better way of putting it
0: I would say evil is not necessary at all I would say that a child knows what a hug is without being slapped first and you know you like it right there might be something more you there might be more of a shocking or jarring contrast I would agree to that but you might also have uh, withdrawal. You might also have this kind of defensive detachment that's talked about in in um, psychological circles. Um, there's a whole bunch of negative ramifications that are possible. And so the greater good argument, in my mind, just doesn't hold up. doesn't work. Um, it's not what the text seems to say. And when I think about who this God is and I think about these events and I think about um, what it would mean for me to engage with a God for whom uh, ultimately I, I couldn't, I I would have no ability, no way of discerning whether something is in fact valuable in God's wish because this is an evil that God needs versus this is an evil, no, God's against this one. Where is God against any of
1: them? And if God, but if Christians would say you can't know because God's ways are not our ways and they're bigger than us.
0: Yeah, but I mean, These are not the mysteries that the text talks about. The Jews are in absolutely no quandary about whether God loves them or not. When they're standing there, when they're in the land, even when they're at Sinai, there's no question. They've just come through the Exodus. They've seen firsthand what's going on. And even when they're in the land, there are one or two of them. I mean, definitely Joshua and Caleb. Who remember? They're part of this. So so to say that God's ways are above our ways I mean that that's ludicrous that's that's like saying God loves us in a way that's totally removed from what we consider to be love well how can we 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 shouldn't use the same word then if, if it's totally removed it can't be love right like abuse is different from love therefore we use a different word for it but when we use all the same words we use truth we use gentleness we use you know justice etc we use all of these words And and I think that this is just this is a. On the one hand, it's a cop out, but I think it's an indication of something much, much deeper. It's a it's a very um, it's a way of deceiving ourselves into keeping a, a, a sort of a mode of understanding God, and so a mode of understanding us that consoles us from the dangers and the harms of our world. We live in a world where we have very tragic situations and they happen all the time. And thank goodness, I mean, I feel so thankful I live in North America because these things happen much less here. But I think what tends to happen is Christianity can be used as a means of both accusing others and accusing them sometimes falsely, while whitewashing myself. It can also be a means of consoling myself against things that I really have to face
1: We'll say more about that which one well the cons- consolation or the yeah accusation? the consolation piece
0: well, I, I think what I think that's exactly what's happening here you know you have people who um I'm sure within the group, let's say on Sunday, there are individuals whose lives have not gone well, where things have fallen poorly for them, whether it's with work, whether it's with family, whether it's with social context um and part of what a lot of people need. And I know I needed this before when I was a Christian before. So you know, I don't think everything I was as a Christian when I, when I was first a Christian was, was And I, I mean, before I became an agnostic and stayed an agnostic for seven years. That early Christian period, I needed this consolation too, because there was a whole lot of crap in my life that was just hideous. All the abuse and the, 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 the family stuff that I had to, I was literally keeping from myself. And so, to look at evil in a way that would allow me to see it for what it was would also necessitate me seeing myself and seeing the world in more truthful ways, and that was
1: too painful for me. So, so say more about that in the case, in the sense of your own context. How are you not? Rec- how are you not able to reconcile, or how are you like pushing away?
0: Well, you know, in, in particular situations when something like abuse is quite severe we have the the brain is a phenomenal uh thing we are able to hide things from ourselves and not see things not understand things block memories but but part of the idea for for me as a christian was the idea of or the the notion of evil was never something that i recall going into with any depth and allowing myself to be challenged by, because if I did, it would have meant that I had to challenge myself on what evil meant to me. It would have meant that I would have had to develop a sense of honesty and a deeper awareness that at that point in my life, I simply could not have handled. I was still living in my parents' home. My father was still alive. You know, I didn't start to challenge him. I didn't start to become aware of some of these things my 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 extraordinary anger and then remembering some things until i'd moved out it was not safe even as a even as an 18 year old man i was still too afraid of you know being in the same house with him
1: so i don't know how much that answers your question what parts of your christian beliefs were you or what christian beliefs or false beliefs were you embracing so that you didn't have to deal with this other thing well, I think that God can allow evil. That God will work with
0: evil. That the notion that 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 in any way Rwanda had to happen, or that God will God uses Rwanda as a tool. I remember being at Le Brie in '99 in the summer, and there was a guy who came there. He was only there for a couple of days. There was a massive earthquake in Turkey. It killed sixty or seventy thousand people. It was it was it was huge. And I remember being there in the, the prayer time. I didn't pray. I was not, I had not, I was not a Christian, but I was there and I wrote down what people prayed because I, I had in past been exposed to people doing very manipulative and harmful things through prayer. And this guy in his prayer thanks God that God showed God's glory by killing all, the, by destroying all these people. What? I am, and this is the only time in that whole time I have sat in that room. It's on a Monday, as you know. It takes place. <clears throat> and I just, as soon as he finished, I spoke. And I didn't speak to him, but I spoke to the room. And I could not countenance that type of absolute disconnection with the pain and the misery and the suffering. What did you say? I, I, don't, I don't recall. I, I, I said, you know, I uh, I probably spoke for the, the value of people's lives and the, the tragedy and the... Uh, the pain and the loss and the suffering and that these things are real and that God gains nothing by being some sort of beast who destroys people to show how, how powerful he is like the, the, this is kind of, these are warped notions, these notions run entirely counter to the character of God as established in the Bible, these are very sort of could be like Zeus could be like some other, I don't know uh, uh, Babylonian or Assyrian gods but this is not the god of the bible right and so on the one hand if if i was faced with this type of god i mean i would uh i would despair and die that's what that's what i would do because if 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 there is some sort of all powerful being bent on destruction i'm not going to worship it i would not i just would die i would say forget it you know i've gone through this 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 thing this this path, it was part of what it was for me to leave Christianity was to say, what if God really is this monster? And my answer was, if God really is this monster who, you know, to use this fellow's example, likes to show his glory by destroying people in Turkey or needs to kill 5 million Jews to, to get a point across in something good, then I want nothing to do with this God. You may be alive, you may not be. You may be real, you may not be. I don't really care. But if you're anything like this, we're done. I'm through. And if you want to hunt me down and track me down, I guess you can do it if that's the type of thing you are, if you really exist. But the odds are you don't exist. And the odds are nothing ever will happen. And that, you know, that was my perspective largely on God. God is some sort of um, either ogre who does terrible things or permits terrible things or just is, is indifferent You know, or is non-existent. So um, I think the need to console ourselves is the need not to look at the reality of the situation and not to do the hard work, the hard work of engaging with the biblical text. And the other piece that this gets to is, and part of what I'm going to present this Sunday is, the Holy Spirit is there to guide us in truth and to teach us. To teach us what? To remember Jesus, to think about the things that Jesus said, to kind of Make that link back to Jesus. He's in, even for you, for you and me who, who have never met Jesus in, in the person, in the flesh, that's the idea. But if you're thinking that the Holy Spirit is there to replace your mind and your hard work and the work of the body, let's say the body is the metaphor we use for Christians, the body and those who are more capable and able when it comes to understanding the Bible, if you think that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, you have completely either misread the text or you're reading it in a way that's very self-serving. Because it's permitting you to do things with the Bible you shouldn't be doing. Namely, to take it and read it and say, that's what it means. No, it doesn't. It, you know, you, you you may be right, but, but guessing at it is not the way to get a, a good answer. And so, yeah, I think that whole piece about not thinking that we can um, understand the text right off and thinking that, oh, if I'm reading uh, Romans eight twenty eight then that's just got to mean that the, the other pieces of the Bible, let's say the, the disciples' prayer, that doesn't really matter as much. I can choose one over the other. Well, no, you can't. You need to choose both. And if they're not, if they're not connecting, if they're not reconciling, then probably the idea is you, you
1: need more help, right? We all do. That's part of what it is to be a body. So is that where you're leading them, then on Sunday mornings? Well, I'm going to start
0: off with that piece about the Holy Spirit. So I think there's certain things I've got to – one of the things I'm realizing is I have to close down certain avenues because, because there's, a, there's a tendency for folks to walk down these avenues. And once they go down these avenues – so there's the proof texting avenue, right? And so once I put out that, that piece about, well, you know what? If you think the Holy Spirit is there to replace your mind, your hard effort, and your, your inter-reliance as a body on others who, who know more and have studied more – Then you, I don't read that anywhere in this text, and of course I'm going to bring up the parts of the text that I have got some information on, and put out a couple articles and say this is why I think this. But if anybody brings up a text from now on, my my first question is going to be, how do you know that that's what it means? What work have you done?
1: (laughs) That should get interesting. (laughs) Well, it's it's nobody asks that question at church. No, they don't. I've never seen it asked.
0: Well, it cuts down the freebie, right? We've got to cut off some of these freebies. So there's a freebie for anybody to say, to quote a biblical text and to have a, a degree of legitimacy uh, or believability about what that text means. And that's, so I'm cutting Simply that off.
1: because it came from the Bible.
0: Simply because it came from the Bible and they're a Christian. So we're getting rid of this. Holy Spirit inspires you to be just as good a reader of the text as N.T. Wright. No. That doesn't happen. That's not how it works. That's not real life. That's not the text. So that's no longer fair game. And then the other thing that I think has to be cut down or cut off. So cutting off the, I can quote whatever I want, the proof text thing. And then cutting off the, okay, I'll take your example in the same vein, but I'm going to make it much easier. No, 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 no. We're, if we're working through the hard stuff, we're working through the hard stuff. And if you can't make it work in the hard stuff, I don't care if it works in the easy stuff. And to be really clear about that. And then I think the third thing is just to be, to respond point for point and to really be clear about what I think and why. And then the fourth point, I think, is to be very clear with folks that, okay, we're talking about the problem of evil, let's say. This is a big deal. So you may not agree with me. I would like to know on what grounds you don't agree or in what way. Well, I don't think you've got it structured right. I don't agree in this way or that way. Okay, so would you like to bring something next week? Do you have a book? Do you have a reference? Do you have something you've been reading or somebody you know? And you'd like to bring something in. Uh, you know, you don't have to produce it on the spot. I'm not going to make people do that. I don't, I don't expect myself to do that. But if it's not about the truth or the accuracy of how something's being presented if it's about how people feel about it or it's about how people have been hurt or what their what their history is with it who taught me this you know this matters a lot to me cuz my granddad taught me this and you know this means my granddad was wrong okay then i'm willing to hear those perspectives and those arguments but i i think the fourth point is needing to distinguish very clearly when we are talking about truth and accuracy and when we are talking in terms of facts and, and um, proof versus when we are talking about something different. We're talking about how this has played out in your history, how you feel about this, those types of things. Because I think to be really clear, and I need to be clear with these folks, I'm not willing to play around with this idea of truth and accuracy. And if somebody thinks oh, you know, I don't think Greg's accurate. I'm not sure where he's coming up with this stuff. He's pulled a couple articles out and he's shaken some papers around in front of us, but really that doesn't mean very much. Then, you know, I would say one of two things. Well, if you think that there are other ways of seeing this, go right ahead or bring something next week. Or if you're talking about your feelings, then we can talk about feelings, but we're going to leave the proof and the, the, the accuracy of the presentation intact. In other words, if you're not talking to me about something that can actually be evaluated and you're just giving an opinion, I'm just going to call that assertion. And mm. the only place for assertion right now is what you think you know, we should be doing in terms of tea or coffee later on. There's no room for assertion here. You know, And if you need help, if you need help, if you're like, you know, I think I read something here, I think I, yeah. I recall something there, I can't quite find it, I'll help you, I'll actually take your side on this. But I'm not going to take your side when it comes to assertion. And if you're talking about your feelings, then let's change the nature of the discussion given that the facts and the proof as they are stand. Your feelings may contribute to how you see things. So I mentioned feelings when I talked about, you know, if this is who God is, like Zeus or I don't know, some Babylonian God, uh, my feelings are, getting, are involved there, right? But I'm also seeing that some of these truth claims about I don't know, the, 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 the real contrast here is God claims to love me and yet does evil.
1: There's an intellectual problem there and I feel that problem in my body. I think that family of origin thing though is particularly big. Maybe bigger than some people realize. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I remember I remember a very specific meal conversation. I remember where I was sitting, I remember it was a woman and younger and we were discussing some we're discussing a topic that there was no real clear answer in the Bible. Mm. And she was so troubled because the, the meal facilitator was cutting against her assertion Mm. and all she could come up with. It was, it was, it was kind of gut wrenching and I felt sorry for her in a sense that she was flailing and, and all she could keep coming back was with my mama. She, I think she was from somewhere in the South and she said, my mama taught me that this was true. Right. And they were like, I know, okay, well, um, it's got to, in other words, it was, she She kind of kept going to this position of, it's got to be in there somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's got to be in there somewhere because my mama told me it's true. And yeah. Th- so I think there Ow. is something really big to what you're saying there because, uh, I mean, I've experienced this a little bit of my own journey, which is. You know, my family goes back several generations in terms of Christian belief. And mm-hmm. so for me to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't adding up for me. What does that say about all these people that have come before me and people in my family that I respect, but yet it doesn't add up for me? Mm-hmm. Who am I going to cut against, myself or them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, those are great examples. And it takes a really long time to unwind that stuff and get comfortable with it are comfortable I, yes. enough. And I don't know I don't know that you're ever perfectly comfortable with it, but I would say compared to when you and I first we were talking about this before we started. We've been recording and talking about this stuff for 4 years now. We've been <laughs> putting it on the internet for 3. That's great. But I would say I'm in a much different place than I was when we started in terms of just being more okay with being at odds. Mm-hmm. With Say it be my family or other people, and just I don't know, maybe being able to just live more with that tension of saying, Wow, this doesn't make sense to me, and that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I have to throw everything away. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that I think the, the initial when you get into that position for the first time, it's like, Oh my goodness, I have to choose between my family, or reality, or the Bible. Which one am I gonna choose? I have to choose one. Yeah, and go all the way with it. And it's like, well, maybe not. And I know some people will hear that and be like, oh, wow, John, you are so liberal and you're so just like, you can have it all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's, I don't know, there's a lot more shades of gray than I grew up with. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, that's super helpful,
0: John. That is, That's that, and that's, I, I need that reminder a great deal because I feel s- caught because I feel, M- m- the clear sense of being given by many, many people is let's get moving. Let's get moving. Let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, the point, if I just drop it on you, is going to hammer you. Like Even this presentation is going to be very difficult for some people. And I've tried to do this lead in. I've tried to you know, bring a lot of information and not just drop stuff on you. Now you're dropping away. Well, hopefully, uh, the, the problem though is we haven't even got to the hard part yet. Really? The what's hard, that? <laughs> the, the, well, the hard part is this whole piece about self-deception. Because you the question you got to ask yourself is, listen, I got so much information in reality that tells me bad things happen. And I've got a lot of information in the Bible. And I should have a lot of this sense of resonance or dissonance that should be prompting me. So if I'm having dissonance between what I'm reading in the Bible and this notion of God loving me, or what's happening in the world, if I think that God's doing it and God loving me and God loving them... I should be looking for some resolution here. You should be getting on your horse and riding. Right? I appreciate that I'm, I have the training and the background and the experience of a biblical scholar in certain ways. Certainly of someone who's got, you know, a lot of tools when it comes to interpretation. That's my area. But nevertheless, what's going on here? So there's a the big question of why. Why, is this, why. why are we like this? Why does it seem like we're consoling ourselves with this idea that God causes evil when that's very clearly not in the Bible? And that idea seems absolutely reprehensible when you think about it in the context of God loving us. And not just, not just God loving me, I'm still alive. God loving that other p- person who got killed in this way or used in that way or, you know, terrible things happened in these other ways. And The question of why only has one really good answer that I can see, and that's the direction we're going, and that's self-deception. We are deceiving ourselves. There is an active, unconscious effort on the part of human beings to engage in sinful practices, and those sinful practices include Christians, and the outworkings of those sinful practices are false religion. We create this picture of Christianity that doesn't mesh with the Bible because it matches our needs. We get to console ourselves. We feel better. But what happens to the people out there? What happens to all the people who aren't Christians and say, hey, you know what? This stuff stinks. As, as Susan said, and I, I won't pull punches on this one. You can bleep me if you want to. She said, it's like somebody comes up to you with a big pile of shit and says, doesn't this smell good? Wouldn't you like to have this? And she said it in the context of someone trying to promote the idea that God doing evil things is okay and should make somebody in any way want to embrace this God who does evil as someone who loves them or as an entity that loves them. And so we're going in the direction of self-deception and we're kind of going to follow the line of the Old Testament prophets who would say, you know, it's not just that Israel turned away from God, it's that Israel turned away from God in such a way that they were telling themselves and reinforcing the message that we're doing just what we should be doing. So I think that's going to be the, uh, that's going to be the real sting. (laughs) (laughs) Very interesting. Yeah. So we'll see where we go. Any more, any more thoughts? No, I was just going to say, keep it posted. (laughs) Well, it's happening every week so far, and uh, I think uh, I, was, I, was, I was shocked the first week. there were a lot of people there, and then, well, you know, you had the, the adolescent class in there the second week, so there were, I don't know, 25 people there. There was a heck of a lot of people there for the second. So if, and I think the, I've asked that the adolescents be there for the, at least the next class or two so that we can wrap some of this stuff up and they see where we're going.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So there you're really giving them some advanced concepts. Well, you know, and, and one of
0: one of the people said, you know, why should they have to unlearn things later? Hmm. Which I thought was awfully complimentary on the one hand and worrying on the other. You know, complimentary that I'm helping them learn better, but worrying in the sense of, well, what, is, what are they learning that they shouldn't be? Hmm. So, yeah, I mean... We'll see. I'm pretty. I'm pretty optimistic. I think it's. I'm. I'm pretty sure there will be fireworks to be. To be true, truthful. But I, I don't think they've ever had me say to them, "Okay, listen. You put this forward. Here's my view on this. I don't agree. Here's why. Here are these articles. You're welcome to read them. If you have other thoughts or other things, you know. And I'm not going to be so blow by blow, point by point, da 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 staccato with them. But nevertheless, I'm just going to walk through and say. Okay, this argument, no, doesn't work. This argument here, no, doesn't work. This argument here, no, doesn't work. For these reasons and these reasons, and here's some of the backup and the proof, and you know, here's some things to look at if you want to see this. But at the end of the day, we're going to get drawn right back to the original question, and then we're going to have to face it naked, as it were, without any of the backup of any of these arguments and say, Okay, Bible doesn't say this is so. Real life gives you a terrible contradiction in terms of God-loving people and evil existing, I think we need some better answers. And we can start off with why we've got ourselves so confused in the first place.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email send your request, questions or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.